0: Hey, Startup Nation, I am so glad you came back to join us for another edition of the Startup Life. You clearly are ready to get the tools you need to get ahead of the competition. Go ahead and give us a five star rating while you're here. Now, if you're looking for an ad free experience, go ahead and sign up for our Patreon page where you will get exclusive content and access to our digital products that we're beginning to launch. The link is there in the show notes. And if you want to ask questions directly to some of our guests, follow the Startup Life Podcast Club on Clubhouse as some of our conversations will start to happen there. But back to the task at hand. Are you ready to level up? Of course you are. Get ready as the Startup Life Podcast begins now. It's time to be about that life. The Startup Life. Here's your host, Dominic Lawson. I'm right, Startup Nation, so I hope you're ready to receive some value today my name is dominic lawson and this is the startup life the show for entrepreneurs and career-minded professionals you know startup nation you know we always thinking about here you know primarily in the states uh, about starting up a, a venture starting up a company and stuff like that but what does it look like starting up a venture abroad if you're not familiar with uh being abroad well our next guest Knows all about that and more. He is the founder and chairman of Digiplex Data Centers, but he's also the author of *La Deal*: How a young American in business and love, and over his head, over his head, kickstarted a multi-billion-dollar industry in Europe. He is Jay Burn Murphy. How are you, good sir?
1: I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me today.
0: Oh, no worries. We're so glad to have you uh, on the show. Really appreciate your time uh, today here on The Startup Life. But, you know, before we kind of get in our conversation and stuff like that, you know, we've been asking people, you know, and we know we're still kind of dealing with this pandemic a little bit and stuff like that. And it's kind of changed uh, a lot of things the way we do our normal day-to-day life, you know, it's even kind of uh, made us rethink what normal is, right? But I guess I'm just curious from your standpoint and from what you've experienced over the past 12, 13 months, you know, what's a lesson or professional, personal lesson or professional lesson that you've learned over the past 12, 13, 14 months, uh, if you don't mind me asking?
1: No, I don't mind at all. It's, uh, I, I have come to a revelation uh, that my prior work lifestyle um, is no longer appropriate. Uh, I I have been working in Europe exclusively for just under 30 years and living over there about half that time. But for the last 17 years or 16 years prior to the pandemic, I commuted from America. So every third week I'd go to Europe for a week or 10 days, come back. Then three weeks later, keep doing it. And I did that for 16 years where you pretty much end up jet lagged wherever you are. Right, And the pandemic has uh, prompted me to realize that era is over. Absolutely, I'm not going back to that, and the uh, Zoom connectivity um, and all the benefits it brings enables that, and uh, so does my maturity of my management team over there. Right, but um, there are silver linings to this pandemic,
0: for sure. For sure. Thank you uh, for sharing. And I think we're all trying to find uh, those silver linings, especially as, you know, things start to open back up a little bit here uh, in the States and around the world. So I want to ask you about your book. Once again, Startup Nation, that book is Ladeel. Uh We have a link there in the show notes for easy access if you listen to the replay on the podcast to purchase uh, the book. So and I, if I'm not mistaken, this book came out uh, back in 2008 and is being re-released on paperback, correct?
1: Yes, it is. It's paperback for the first time, Mm -hmm. and it has a new foreword and epilogue and prologue. And one of the reasons it is is because it keeps being ordered by uh, graduate schools, business schools, and graduate schools of design or urban planning. Right. And so uh, we ran out of books, and a publisher said, we got to republish this, and I was (laughs) pleased. Well, of course. So here we are.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, and, and that's the thing about, you know, once you start having graduate students and and, and uh, business schools saying, hey, we need to have this book, you know, as kind of part of required re- reading, that's obviously uh, a, a good problem to have for sure. Uh, but what are some of those lessons that, you know, that they're getting out of? Because clearly there's some stuff there. You know, we kind of mentioned at the top of the show about like starting to venture, you know, uh, you know, abroad and stuff like that. But what are some of those other lessons that are in the book there, Byrne?
1: Well, I'd say there are three. Uh, one is, uh, under what circumstances did I pop off to Europe to to launch this new concept? And it was because of the SNL crisis at the time or a deep recession in America. Right. And I discovered I had to do, uh, find something to do somewhere else. And so my advice would be, including right now, right in this moment of this pandemic, when we're hitting bottom and about to curve back up again in terms of economic growth. Mm -hmm. In any downturn, there are opportunities in any grand dislocation scenario as we currently have. There are opportunities. And while one may think, oh, how do you find an opportunity when everything is so negative? Well, there's so much dry powder on the sidelines of equity seeking investment investments and seeking entrepreneurs. Um, especially those with any kind of successful track record. Right, there is a lot of capital to back you, and I would strongly recommend it. That's what prompted me to go to Europe the first time, and um, I did get in over my head, and I did figure it out through American optimism. <clears throat> Excuse me, and I have launched two more uh, platforms in Europe since then. Right, each of them in a downturn. So wow, that's the opportunity.
0: Absolutely, you know. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, were you about to say something else?
1: Well, and the second thing is sure. um, that I do work in foreign cultures, and and uh, so context matters absolutely a lot. And you take if you don't take that context, which is both cultural, um, economic, um, uh, the cycle. If you don't take that context into consideration, then surprises are headed your way. Almost all of them unpleasant. So it it's worth taking the time to figure out where am I. And why is this different than maybe where I grew up? But for the entrepreneurs who say, listen, pal, I'm staying here in America and that's that's difficult enough. (laughs) Context still matters. Right. What's changing around you? What about this digitalization that the whole world's going through? What about popping of the pandemic? Context is key.
0: For sure. For sure. And, you know, you you talked about, you know, those differences in context. I imagine uh, political context is a big one, which is kind of addressed in the book. You have a story in there where there was kind of some political turmoil that you kind of had to deal with. Could you share that a little bit?
1: Well, it turns out it was a lot of political turmoil. Fair enough. (laughs) And and, um, what I hadn't realized, and and it took me a while to figure it out, was that uh, the retail fabric of the economic setting in the old world of Europe, where the emphasis is on job preservation, Mm. preserving that downtown core and preserving what the French call each person's métier. The emphasis is on job preservation, not job creation. The American mentality that tomorrow can always be better, we can keep building and let's focus on the future. Well, Europe has millennia of history in the past, Mm. So uh, the the way that um, uh, politicians are elected is uh, not by not so much by saying, I'm going to bring new jobs to this area. It's by saying, okay, we're going to preserve what we have and enhance it. And when I went in as a naive American and started spouting off about the new concept I brought, I landed in Europe in France just after disney had opened mm. which was a disaster oh opening, yeah right and they were very naively uh totally american there would be no wine served in disneyland parks you know and how do you say that to the french right no lunch <laughs> wine no dinner wine i don't think so right no mustaches no facial hair so there was this insensitivity to again the context and the politicians hopped all over it so um, I had uh, politicians at local, regional, and national level, and eventually the prime minister of France got very involved. The um, future chancellor of Germany got involved. I ended up in the supreme court of Italy and France because I had this new concept, and it just just tore up the political, or rather, the political environment came at me like a tornado, mm. and I wasn't ready for it. But what an entrepreneur should do is take those forces build a coalition, determine how the exact same forces could be spun to be wins at your back instead of in your face. Right. And go right back at them and say, actually, because of what you're saying, this solution is in your interest. And here's why ABC. For sure. That's ultimately what I did.
0: For sure. No, I, I appreciate that. And, you know, you, you bring up something that's interesting that I don't think we as Americans really kind of at least put in context or even think about it's like you talked about the uh that uh, you know they have like a millennia over there in europe and stuff like that you know i think we sometimes forget that we're kind of a uh, compared to like Europe and stuff like that as a country, we're kind of an infant, if you will. Right. We're kind of a baby, if you will. Like we've only been around 200 some our years, you know what I mean? So they've been around for thousands of years. So uh, thank you for bringing that perspective uh, just now. Cause I was just thinking about that just now. So I appreciate that.
1: It is, it is key
0: for sure. For sure. So in the book, you, you talk about, you know, finding opportunities through pattern recognition. What do you mean by that? Can you share that with us a little bit?
1: Over the 30 years, I have taken a concept which is new in America, proven in America, but not yet very mature in America.
2: Mm.
1: And I scooped it up and I brought it over to Europe right away where I had to then prove it in Europe. And in each of the three cases, which was outlet centers, this book is about the outlet centers, data centers, which I'm currently doing, and private residence clubs, which I did in Florence, Italy. In each case, you're playing... The product life cycle, the famous S curve, which is taught in every basic business course of infancy, growth, maturity, and eventually decline. You're introducing a new concept at the infancy stage, which is the highest risk stage. Right. And so what I've done is I said, well, that was successful in America for the following reasons. And according to the following pattern, it grew like this with this kind of customer base and this kind of capital. Can I take that pattern? which ended in success, and implement it in a different geography, Europe, and adapt as I go. And it's known as pattern recognition uh, as opposed to starting with a concept that is so wildly new. There is no place you can compare its prior success. It's just hope. And so I'm the bridge between the innovative California factory of new ideas and innovation and the old world, which is not so good at innovating but very good, Eventually, of adopting the new concepts, gotcha. usually from America.
0: Gotcha. Thank. I appreciate you, Shannon. And you talked about the product lifecycle. I have a quick follow up question to that. Give me just a second as one of the FedEx planes flies overhead just now. I don't know if you can hear that uh, just now, but. Um, uh, the product life cycle, you talked about the four, you know, you know, there's the four phases that decline stage and stuff like that. You know, as entrepreneurs, when we have a product that's out there in the market and start to hit that decline stage, I imagine there's probably not too much you can do to kind of stop it from happening. But what are, are there some strategies or some things that we can do once it hits that decline uh, cycle to kind of, I guess, slow the decline uh, of the cycle in the decline phase, if that makes sense?
1: Sure. You can adopt both the automotive industry and the uh, beverage industry's classic response to that, which is Coca-Cola is starting in the 1950s, starting to hit what they perceived to be maturity.
2: They mm-hmm.
1: say, so, well, how are we going to kickstart this? Well, Coke came out with Diet Coke. Mm. Ah, that appeals to a different crowd and expands the pie, doesn't just uh, segment the pie. The 1920s Ford Model T eventually it was standard every year forever. And then and then GM said, wait a minute, we're going to have a 1966 Mustang. Then we're going to have a 1967 Mustang with some adaptations. And Apple to this day has, you know, the iPhone 10, then the iPhone 11. And that freshness, that new and the addiction to the latest greatest, right. keeps it fresh and keeps expanding. They hope the pie or at the top of the curve before it bends down towards a decline it just keeps growing apple has been brilliant at that but they keep adding um new products to their core product mix right but i would say the first thing to do is you really have to peel back the onion and say but why am i concerned about decline with the concept or the product i currently have mm. is there a better mousetrap that's going to ensure its decline gotcha in which case Then you got a different set of issues. Which maybe you should sell to a consolidator and start something else. So you got to go to the core issue of the decline. Um, As what I do is, I don't get into that phase. I ride this up the curve, and if I think it's hitting, just starting to hit the maturity, then that's when I say, okay, I've done my job, and I will sell to the whole platform to somebody else. Whether it's another consolidator player coming from America or a local finance company or something, for sure. I'm I'm the grower. I'm I'm not so good at uh, <laughs> massaging uh, once it's mature.
0: Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And and I guess there's all there's also that concept of of knowing when to let go. I guess I, I guess that's something that's important to uh, kind of keep in mind as well. But I, I appreciate you sharing that. I'm going to do a quick reset. Once again, Startup Nation, we're talking to J. Byrne Murphy, the author of Deal" and also the founder and chairman of Digiplex. And once again, if you want to get a copy of Deal," it's not on paperback now. We have a link there in the show notes for easy access if you're listening to the replay on the podcast. So, Burn, I want to ask you this uh, because, you know, you know, you get you know, you talk about in, in the book as far as like, you know, certain, you know, uh, the story of the business practices and stuff like that. But when you make a big move like that, you know, especially with uh, a wife and daughter, you know, I imagine there's some personal stuff to kind of get over with some personal humps and uh, and uh, adversity there to kind of get over with. Because, I mean, as entrepreneurs, we're still people, right? You know, we just so happen to be, you know, starting a venture or something like that. But kind of talk about uh, some of that uh, part of it, that personal part you kind of had to overcome, if you don't mind?
1: Well, if you go through the personal histories of uh, pick 25 very well-known entrepreneurs, and let's just assume they are Americans for the moment. Gotcha. Whether they started up FedEx or they started up Apple, they go through any of the industries and then do a little research. And sadly, the divorce rate is higher than the American average. Right. Uh, because uh, these the type of personality required oftentimes is so hyper-focused on making this work that there can be uh, collateral damage. And oftentimes when people read deal, they, especially friends of ours, go to my wife and say, or to me and say, how is it possible that your marriage survived and apparently thrived, because we went from one daughter to four daughters over time uh, while we were in Europe, um, and we're happily married after tw- uh, 30 years, How did that happen? And I jump in and quickly say, you have to understand the question isn't how is it possible that your marriage didn't uh, crash? Actually, it was because of the marriage that the companies were able to uh, survive and thrive. If you don't have that rock-solid support and platform from your partner, it makes all the rest of it so much more difficult. And I do contend that uh, like many entrepreneurs, I am I am wont to work too long, too hard, too intensely. Mm-hmm. And I was fortunate enough to have a partner who said to me, my wife said, Okay, that's enough. You gotta have personal time and bounce this out or you will burn out. And that, you know, hard to hear when you're in your twenties. Right. Essential to hear when you're in you're in your forties and, and when you're beyond in your fifties you, you got to proselytize. Come on, guys, don't do it that way. I've gotcha. been there, done that. Not worth the health risk, et cetera.
0: For sure. For sure. I appreciate you sharing that. We actually talked to uh, Mark Randolph, co-founder and first CEO of Netflix, and he, he shared the same sentiment. Right. No matter of fact, they invoked like a mandatory Tuesday uh, date night, uh, if you will, to where no matter what was going on, that was going to happen. Did you and your wife kind of do something like that or anything similar to that?
1: Uh, yes uh, <laughs> gotcha. and it was my wife who insisted at one point she said to me we're in the front hall and i was rushing out in the morning for yet another intense day and she mm-hmm. said come on we gotta have fun let's i've I planned such and such for the weekend and i turned to her and i said you have to understand honey i didn't come here to paris for fun i came to launch this project i need to make it work right and she put her finger right in my face and said the minute you think you can live without fun and balance." You will fail. Mm. We are doing this this weekend and we're going to do it something every weekend. And that's the way it is. And that's the kind of, <laughs> it doesn't sound like it's support, but thank God it was there because it, it was very much support. It oh, was it, survival.
0: Anybody who's been married for a long time knows that support. So I definitely understand uh, where you're coming from for sure. Uh, and so I, I want to kind of transition a little bit because, you know, like you said, you know, you, you've you launched many other Uh, a few other, you know, uh, ventures in Europe and stuff like that. And even one the currently uh, Digiplex, you know, kind of talk about Digiplex and the work you do there.
1: Digiplex is a venture of data centers, which we design, build, own, and operate all within the same company and only in the Nordic region, Scandinavia. Mm -hmm. Why up there? Because you have Hydroelectric power, uh, unlimited, which is 100% green. It's also the least expensive power uh, in the world. Uh, it sometimes is tied with the Pacific Northwest of America, but very, very inexpensive. Um, and because it's green and our customers are the largest Silicon Valley companies, in essence, the top 10 in the world companies, mm-hmm. they have made a vow as new economy companies to be carbon neutral at best and to be carbon negative by 2030 or 2040. Therefore, the demand for pure green and preferably hydroelectric as opposed to just wind or just solar, if you go to cold regions, you have unlimited supply. The wind can stop. The sun can go out. But this snows just keep melting every spring, giving you this power. That's why we're there. We've been at it for 20 years. We're the number one in the region. And um, and I fell into it backwards from my first company, which is the company MacArthur Glen and Ladeel. Because in 1999, when the, this new phenomenon called the Internet, which I did not understand, right, uh, started uh, lapping up into the shores of Europe. I said, wait a minute. I get it. You're going to sell products online, but you got to have an inventory to sell. Well, I've got these outlet centers all across Europe. I'll just sell out the back door. Mm. This is easy. Um, in fact, that sounded like a great idea, but it was a bad idea because online e-commerce is not retailing. It's all about logistics, hence Amazon. Makes sense. And so I said, well, I'm going to go non exact at the first company. I'm starting up a new one. And I want to find that nexus of where this new world economy, this virtual economy meets the physical world that I know about. And the answer was data centers. And so that's it. I went into that.
0: All right, Startup Nation. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. We got to pay some bills. Once again, my name is Dominic Lawson, and you're listening to The Startup Life. Hey Startup Nation, I think we can all agree that 2020 was more or less a dumpster fire, right? I mean, come on, on top of surviving a worldwide pandemic, good friends and family of mine lost their jobs, had their hours cut, or went out of business altogether. Yet many of these same people are talented creatives, web developers, photographers, graphic designers, SEO specialists, and writers with solid, marketable, in-demand skills. So I've turned them onto Hectic. Hectic is an all-in-one business management software built specifically for freelancers who are just getting started or looking to take their freelance business to the next level. hectic is everything a freelancer needs to get started, from an easy-to-use contracts and proposal builder to client management and project tracking to expenses and invoicing that features click-to-play technology that makes it quick and easy for freelancers to get paid and we all want to get paid startup nation built specifically for freelancers hectic is everything you need to get started visit gethecticapp.com forward slash the startup life now to learn more and start for free yep Adding your first client on the platform will always be free. And if you sign up through gethecticapp.com forward slash the startup life, you'll be supporting me and this podcast because who couldn't use a little support these days, startup nation? Visit gethecticapp.com forward slash the startup life to find everything you need to start or grow your freelancing business today and put those in demand skills to good use in the way you've always dreamed of. The link is there in the show notes.
2: I'm Dr. Anthony Leizowitz, and this is Climate Connections. Do you want fries with that? Potatoes are a very popular side dish. The most common potato variety is the russet Burbank, which is mainly grown in the Pacific Northwest. But as the climate there gets warmer and drier, growing these tubers may become more difficult. Richard Novi is with the USDA Agricultural Research Service in Idaho. He says to water their crops, many farmers in his state depend on mountain snowpack which melts slowly throughout the growing season. And so if we have less snowfall up in the mountains or earlier melting of that snowpack, that can impact our irrigation going into the future. Hot, dry weather can reduce farmers' yields, and it can make the potatoes grow unattractive bumps. Novi says another risk posed by rising temperatures is that more of the potato's starch content will convert to sugar. Then when you fry that tuber, you'll get a very dark potato chip or dark french fry. So not desirable by most consumers. To help the industry adapt, Novi and other scientists have been developing new, more resilient potato varieties. So even as the climate changes, diners can continue to order fries with that. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. To hear more stories like this, visit climateconnections.org.
0: All right, Startup Nation. Welcome back. As we continue our conversation with today's guest here on the Startup Life. For sure, you, you know, you know, we've been seeing, you know, based on what you were talking about as far as you know, power, you know, hydroelectric and stuff like that. And we we've seen uh, that uh, famous, now famous Super Bowl commercial with Will Ferrell and the EV vehicles and stuff like that. And it seems like Europe is really, you know, even from a business, you know, uh, side since they've really adopted like, you know, green energy, green technology and stuff like that. Are are there some things that, you know, because you've been doing business in Europe for a while now, are are there some more things like that, whether it be in the green space or even something else that a lot of uh, American entrepreneurs and stuff like that can learn from their European counterparts?
1: Uh, Yes. Okay. Short answer. Okay. There's a whole array that, that could be about three or four more interviews, but (laughs) fair enough. First off, Um, Europeans have a very well-grounded view in life of how to live in today and not always live in the future. Gotcha. Americans, as you said earlier, are such a young country. We're still sort of kind of psychologically uh, moving out west, young man, and and anything is possible. That's true. We're focused on the future and focused on building new and f- I mean, even our downtowns, we, we are rebuilding our downtowns 20 years after we built it the first time. And so a lifestyle and a, a, and a current life outlook as opposed to a future life outlook is something the Europeans do very well. We don't do as well. Now, I can argue the flip side of that. We're more innovative. We are, mm, uh, you know, right. we're more team oriented to make it, uh, happen in many circumstances, not all, but that's one thing lifestyle. So if, if you said, well, gee, Bern, you've taken all these concepts from America to Europe for over 30 years, what can you bring from Europe back to America? That would be one. An offshoot of that lifestyle is appreciating, um, more widely, more loudly, um, the environment in europe than here and that's part of the preserving the old world versus rebuilding the new world right and therefore you have green party uh, political parties that are extremely active but have been for decades and it's really starting to come in vogue here uh within the political environment of late uh, and science there is pretty much respected and, and and it's agreed that science is science it's hard to argue right with numbers after a while so uh and, and I should probably stop there, but within those umbrellas of future focus versus living for today.
0: Gotcha. And,
1: and that there are a lot uh, that could be done if you're an entrepreneur, a lot. For sure. So one final note. Sure. <clears throat> in Europe, there are many more regulations. There's more red tape. There's more bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. And that acts as uh, buffers and can slow down innovation. And in effect, there are barriers to entry and that can dissuade a lot of entrepreneurs and i am here to tell you those barriers to entry are your friend Mm. if you take the time to surmount them take the time to understand the context to which we referred earlier and you get through those barriers good luck for the competitor behind you because the barriers get higher each time got you and once you get out there you have first mover advantage with a lot of barriers protecting your position and that, in essence, is what I've done with three new concepts each time. It's much easier. It's very hard for me, but it's harder for the next guy.
0: Gotcha. You know, there, there's something Startup Nation. I, I hope you kind of caught. And I, I guess I just want to reemphasize. You talked about there's a lot of regulation in Europe, and that they can slow down innovation. But you didn't say it could stop innovation. No. So you know. No. So I, I wanted to make that very uh, uh, keen distinction there. Uh, because you know we hear a lot of times the rhetoric or as far as like you know it slows innovation and it dissuades, which I imagine it does. But you didn't say it stopped innovation. I just wanted to make sure that was very important uh, to point out. So I appreciate that. So uh, I wanted to ask you this as well because you know you you know have data centers with Digitalplex and stuff like that, and, and we we you know there's a lot of data out there just in general, right? whether it be for businesses or social media and stuff like that. There's a lot of data being generated you know uh now these days and stuff like that i I want to ask you what are some of those i guess those ethical tenets or those ethical core values or something like that uh when it comes to storing data housing data you know uh uh, sharing data and stuff like that because that's kind of a, a big topic you know from time to time when it comes to the internet the internet and business and stuff like that
1: uh it's a huge topic right it's profound in the issues involved and can quickly in the wrong hands become dangerous right so i'm a big proponent of the benefits of the digitalization of the economy and healthcare in particular and in a whole variety of ways that are helping us spread knowledge and and open new fields i'm a big advocate my career is based on it at the moment right having said that i do not ever underestimate The issues that come along with it, whether it's Big Brother, Mm
2: -hmm. who
1: can track you everywhere. And I would say to anyone listening, never post your picture on any of your accounts. Uh, You know, it's very clever and fun to do so, and your face pops up when you call somebody. I would never do that. It goes in, it gets in the wrong hands and can have visual recognition in ways that you didn't intend for it to have. Never, never have a shortcut about sending. Um, passwords or social security numbers over email or even text it should go through a uh, uh, encrypted like whatsapp at least. So it, there are those issues about security and how it can be used against you or take your data and use against others are real. and I don't apologize for it and i and I especially encourage the younger people with all this social media. Be so careful. For Be sure. more careful than, than you realize. Um, and I, I guess I'd close in saying, who, what, what force was it, whether you agreed with it or not, uh, I'm not getting into any political, America, but gotcha. what force was it that took away 80 million um, Twitter followers of Donald Trump? Mm. It wasn't the government or another political party. Right. It was a private sector, high-tech company that said, Mm, that's enough. Right. According to our definition, and they pull the plug. So it's powerful um, uh, amalgamation of uh, data and knowledge and the ability to manipulate the data. And the dialogue is only just starting on that. There's much more. To be discussed
0: for sure. No, that that example with, uh, you know, former uh, pr- President Trump's uh, Twitter page and stuff like that, where, you know, you, again, like you said, the private sector made that decision. So, no, that's definitely could could, could definitely be seen as a slippery slope uh, for sure. Maybe even, you know, maybe a really fast slippery slope, uh, you know, depending on who you are and stuff like that. But that brings up another question. I, I, I want to ask kind of a follow up, if you will, because you talked about posting pictures. Uh, and stuff like that and now we're seeing apps uh, i'm not not sure if you're familiar with the reface app you know but which really uh yeah. dives into deep fakes and stuff uh if you will you know ha- has your company you know ha- have you guys thought about this have you done any work in this i guess'm I'm, I'm curious about your personal feelings about uh again i guess how uh that data and that facial technology can really be, uh, kind of hazardous because when it comes to you know my point of view the deep fakes really scare me they really do uh for multiple reasons
1: um there, there's much in my view is the same there's much more scariness in the misuse of that
0: right than, exactly uh,
1: for the average um you know enjoyment you may get out of it uh usually again as a young person saying hey check this out or check that out um i have real deep reservations about that and it's and the EU is out front. Again, a lot of regulation over there, more right, than here. Right. They're out front in trying to, to protect the average citizen from um, uh, abuses of that kind of data. So in my business, I too, I have to protect our interests from, from that kind of abuse. And so I, my concept is defined to the physical world. I have seven different layers of security. It's all physical. It's not virtual. It's not cyber. My customers, who are the big high-tech companies, they're the ones that need to take their implement their own protections on the cyber side of life. So whatever is on the server, I don't own any servers. They own the servers. I own the whole data center. They have to take that protection. And and I'd say that's sort of a a delineation that the average person might want to think about, which is. Have I really protected my data correctly? Mm. Do I know where my data is? Right. And should I be sharing it quite so freely? And I reiterate, no, you shouldn't. Right. Be very careful.
0: For sure. For sure. You know, it is almost it's almost kind of to the point where if you're not willing to just post your social security number online, you might as well not even post your face. It's like the equivalent, like they're the same almost uh in this day and age, the way data is kind of thrown out there for sure. But I appreciate you sharing That's all right. of that for sure. Uh, I, I wanna ask you this kind of change gears a little bit uh you know because you know again you've you you've built amazing uh companies you know uh, across europe and stuff like that. I, I'm curious about you know we talk about this idea of like building a company culture and, and things of that nature. burn, what's your like doctrine to building a great company culture to where everybody feels valued everybody's productive and things of that nature?
1: Great question. Um, First off, there is a debate within, there's a very vibrant active debate as we speak within the professional management community for the businesses. Um, is it still the case, should it still be the case, that the purpose of a company is to protect, enhance, and increase shareholder value?
0: Mm, absolutely. That
1: has been the Adam Smith yardstick for a couple centuries in America. Right. Or should it be the case that not only should you be addressing improving shareholder value, but you have to address stakeholders values. Right. And, and which is what I do. And we have four stakeholders that we pay attention to all the time. Shareholders, definitely Mm -hmm. employees. And I never call them employees. So the, the, the team, the company team, everybody's on the team together. Um, The communities in which we, operate and then our customer base and people the the opponents of stakeholder value a wider definition say well you're just going to dilute the interest of your shareholders by spending so much time worrying about the other stakeholders which i think is ridiculous because if you have happy customers if you have good happy community relations if you have good uh, a team with very high morale. And that then you've created an ecosystem where they all enhance each other's, and it, it lifts all boats. And I've right. been doing this with four different platforms, having, uh, I think we have 13 different nationalities working for my company now in the Nordics with, I don't know, 20 different languages, lots of cultural differences. Absolutely. You know, if you can get them, and I talk about this in Ladeel, and I've practiced it ever since. The key is… Can you get all these people to use a boating metaphor rowing in the same direction to the same cadence, going to the same destination, all at the same time? It's very hard to do in a European context because there's so many different countries and sub-regions within a country. It's easier to you might think in America, because we have at least one media market and we all see the same Super Bowl ads and we have somewhat, you know, points of perspective the same. But that's the hardest part of any company is to take a group of diverse people and transform them into a high performance team to go from group to team is hard, but when you do it, that team is a super bowl champion and they could be Tom Brady and they come back and they do it again and again and again. And my team in the, the, the Nordics now, which just rank uh, top 10 in Norway for highest performing team, uh, on something called great place to work, mm-hmm. independent metrics, et cetera, et cetera. Does that enhance shareholder value? By a factor of 10. Are the communities happy in which we work and give us another approval for another extension for our data center and more power every time? So uh, I'm a big, big believer in it. And by the way, I don't have to do everything. I don't have to decide everything. And I shouldn't and I don't want to because the team is so fired up, they become more and more uh, professional. And take more ownership
0: for sure. For sure, thank you uh, for sharing that. Do a quick reset once again, Startup Nation. We're actually wrapping up with Jay Burn Murphy, the author of La Deal How a Young American in Business, in Love, and Over His Head Kickstarted a Multi Billion Dollar Industry in Europe. And once again, Startup Nation, that book is available in paperback now. And if you want your copy, we have a link there in the show notes for easy access if you listen to the replay on the podcast. So uh, burn I, I want to ask you this, man. You know, like I said, we've had this great conversation. I'm so grateful for you and your book and your value you've had today. You know that you provided for us today. Uh, I, I'm just curious, man. Like you've had this amazing uh career. You know, launching businesses. You know, uh, across the planet and stuff like that. You know, when you decide, whenever that is, when you decide to to hang it up. Like, you know what? I'm you know for to go. Uh, and, you know, just kind of, you know, play with the grandkids and stuff like that for the rest of my days, you know, and people start to speak about the 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 legacy of Jay Byrne Murphy. What do you hope they say?
1: <laughs> well, that's a good question. Um, I hope they say he contributed on all fronts. I hear that. He, he contributed to my career my being anyone who worked at any of my companies. Right. He contributed to all the people who uh, fell on hard times whether it's through personal uh, medical issues or family issues and I have a set of values we evoke uh, at all of our retreats and all of our team meetings but there's one that I have, I, everyone knows it so well we never write it down and that's family first. You work at my company, you have an issue with your family family's always first. And and if you if you say that and you live it and you and you breathe it, then, uh, you know, it doesn't take long before they trust you. Um, And so you contribute to their well-being. They come back and contribute uh, to the company. That's not the quid pro quo I want. Mm -hmm. I just believe it. I'm one of a large family and you got to have family first. And so that he was a great contributor and hopefully modestly. So I don't put my name on. I put my name where I need to right. uh, put my money where my mouth is, to, but I don't need plaques. I don't need lots of PR and all that stuff. Um, and hopefully they might even say, hey, what the hell? He writes a good book. It's funny and it's uh, right.
0: engaging. and Absolutely.
1: Uh, with some messages in there. So that's all. I'd like to be known as that, a sincere contributor to the wider cause.
0: I hear that. I hear that. Thank you so much uh, for sharing that. I, I, let me ask you just a quick follow up. When you talked about I don't need to have, you know, my name in lights and on plaques and, and stuff like that. And we're we're living, let's be honest, we're living in an era where entrepreneurship is kind of, you know, for lack of a better word, a little bit trendy, Uh, from time to time, and people want to, you know, kind of be insta-famous and and, and stuff like that. Is that something from youth? Is that something where maybe over time you spending time in Europe or your perspective changed? Or is that just who Jay Byrne is, Jay Byrne Murphy is? Just kind of talk about that a little bit, if you don't mind me asking.
1: Well, I'm I'm number four of five kids. Gotcha. Four brothers and our adorable sister in the middle. And if you thought that you were too cool for school and you were going to get out of doing the dishes that night or taking out the trash or shoveling the snow my parents never had to say anything because the siblings would come in and say you're not too cool for this school power here's a shovel get your ass out there
0: and do it (laughs) fair enough
1: (laughs) and uh you know that's built into the chromosomes there is and and in addition here in america maybe maybe more so than other countries we're on a lot of teams, or if you elect to be, a lot of athletic teams when you're young mm-hmm. and you have the football fall season or soccer, and then you have wrestling or basketball. And if you take your teams seriously, the team, then the team's more important. Right. And and I would say, listen to Coach Bennett of the University of Virginia team and in- And his style and how he took them from that embarrassing first round loss, oh yes, absolutely to number one champion the next year, right? And it was—it's only about the team. Own your loss, stick to it, and stick with each other. And you know, great things happen in teams. There, great things happen by some individuals, but more great things happen. In teams.
0: For sure, and, for sure. And I'm
1: a big believer in that.
0: Absolutely. No a v- big admirer of, of coach Bennett from university of Virginia here. Cause you, you definitely talk, talk about adversity and, and turning around on a dime from season to season uh, for sure. But you bring up an excellent point when you talked about uh, your siblings and you talked about your company culture earlier, it, it seems like the best uh, company culture, which uh, obviously it's installed from the top, whether it be you and your companies or I guess your parents, with your siblings and stuff like that. But it seems like great company cultures really have that self-correctness within the team. Like the, you don't have to have like this person from on top to always do that correcting or your parents to do that correcting because the team itself does that self-correcting. So I just wanted to make that uh, analogy because I thought that was important to point out.
1: Well, so may I add one footnote? to this? Absolutely. So for the, any entrepreneur who's wants to start up and create a platform, not just a single person uh effort but you want to hire a team to and 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 grow a company my absolute advice strongest piece of advice i would say is the first thing you do is don't set and announce the corporate goals we will sell a hundred thousand units of x by year three i wouldn't start with that i would start with set your corporate values set your culture And if you do it correctly and you live by it, you will achieve and exceed your goals. But every time you have a tough decision to make and when the economy turns tough or the competitors are being tough um, or there are unsavory choices in front of you, if you know what the corporate values are, it's easy to make a decision. If everything is only corporate objectives, you can end up in a gray zone and think, oh, my God, what should I do now? Mm. Start with company values. And on that, I'm not sure I have much more to add.
0: Gotcha. No, I I definitely appreciate that. Uh, for sure, you know. And before I ask the last question, Burn, just want to say thanks again, so much again for coming on the show, sharing uh, your story, and sharing your book. Once again, that book is Ledeal Startup Nation. That book, that link to purchase the book is there in the show notes for easy access. If you listen to the replay on the podcast, uh, and Burn, I'm actually just going to turn the microphone over to you because look, with everything going on, there's a lot going on right now. Uh, there are some people kind of looking for some encouragement. Uh, you know, to kind of pursue their efforts, their entrepreneurial efforts, their personal efforts. If you if you would, just give us some words of encouragement to take us out for today, if you don't mind.
1: Well, sure. If you want to start your own uh, venture or you're struggling with the current one to get it going, there are some macro elements uh, where the winds have now changed or, or are in the process of changing, and it's a good time to be an entrepreneur. Number one, uh, we are still in a capital market era where the interest rate is still 99% lower or lower than 99% of the prior 50 years. So to get access to affordable money to start up and, and ensure your company thrives, it's better than ever. Number two, that's the debt side. Number two, on the equity side, there is more private equity, dry powder on the sidelines, seeking and searching for smart, dedicated entrepreneurs than ever before. So the capital markets, debt and equity are in an ideal condition to help. Number three, the macroeconomics, we are bottoming out. We have, the pandemic is, is difficult, it's real, it's not over, but vaccines are coming. The curve is being bent downwards. We just gotta hang in there a little longer with our mask and some other precautions. But even today, J.P. Morgan Chase came out with predictions saying, we're gonna snap back faster than expected. We might have a GDP higher than China for the first time since 1973. Wow. So all that capital that I mentioned, it wants to get out there. It is just desperate to find entrepreneurs. Uh, So it's a good time for that. And then lastly, it's been tough. People have uh, not had the jobs they wanted, maybe have lost their jobs. But there are a lot of talented people who, as a consequence, are either unhappy in the existing jobs or on the sidelines seeking it's a great time to be picking up talent. It's a really good time to be picking up talent. And there you have the most important elements of raw material, capital, talent, um, and, and the economic wins at your back. It's a good time to make a move. Just do it carefully, stick to your values, and it's not all, sh- and there may be short term survival issues, but keep the end in mind. Keep the longer horizon ever present in your mind and that's how you become a leader this is where we're going i'm the pathfinder follow me here's how we'll get there
0: i hear that awesome stuff thank you so much for sharing all of that very powerful stuff and that's going to wrap up this session of the startup Life. we want to once again thank jay burn murphy for coming on the show thank you so much good sir
1: thank you very much for having me no
0: worries no worries and as always startup nation if you have an idea be about that life the startup life if you want to let us know what you think about the show have an idea for a show topic or would like to advertise on a show, send us a message. Our contact information is there in the show notes, or feel free to reach out to us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Go ahead and follow us while you're at it. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast One, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, and be sure to hit us with that five-star rating. We would really appreciate that. Be sure to check out the show's website and its startup blog, where either I or some of the world's best business minds share content That will give you the edge you need in your journey, whether that's the path of entrepreneurship or climbing the corporate ladder. Subscribe to our Patreon to listen to ad free episodes, exclusive content and digital products that we are beginning to offer. And if you want to be part of the conversation, join the Startup Life podcast on Clubhouse to have the ability to talk directly to some of our guests. And as always, Startup Nation, if you have an idea, be about that life, the startup life.